0: Good morning, Beverly. We have Beverly. Good morning. We have Beverly Angel on our show for you today. Beverly, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm enjoying the fact that I'm going to talk to you.
0: And where are you calling from today?
1: I'm calling from California.
0: Wonderful. It's nice to have you on the show today. Um, Beverly is the author of 22 self-help books, and her very latest book is It Wasn't Your Fault. Today, we're going to be interviewing you to talk about the nice girl syndrome. And Beverly, can you start by explaining to us what's wrong with being nice?
1: Well, uh, the main thing that's wrong with it is that at this time in our lives, uh, in our history, women just can't afford to be nice girls anymore. Uh, it's just simply not safe. Um Nice girls are too compliant and too passive, and they don't take care of themselves. They, they put other people's feelings ahead of their own. Um, they put um, too much emphasis on pleasing other people. Uh, they give people the benefit of the doubt more than trusting their own instincts and perceptions. And all of this behavior gets them in a lot of trouble. Um, nice girls tend to end up being either emotionally, physically, or sexually abused much more often than what I call strong women, uh, and they end up, uh, getting into relationships with men or women who don't treat them well, even though they may not be abused, uh, they just aren't respected, uh, they're not treated well. So being, being a nice girl, doesn't make sense in terms of it not being safe and it also just doesn't have uh, create the best situations for a good healthy relationship.
2: I love love the synopsis and what I love most about the book I think reading it now in this day and age is that it's not business oriented because a lot of books that talk about being a nice girl or being a strong, a strong woman have to do with asserting yourself in the workplace, and Beverly's book is just about life, about all of our interactive relationships.
0: It helped me yes. to, It helped me tremendously, Beverly, be able to see how I was raised by yes. family, by church, by TVs, movies, and books of the day that said being a nice girl was going to get me what I wanted in life meaning loved or cared for in some way. And it actually gets that nice girl far less than those things. As you said, you end up being abused in different ways or taken advantage of, and your needs actually are not ever met.
1: Right, right. It, it gives a false, a false impression that you don't have high self-esteem, that you don't value yourself Uh, And that, again, you put other people's needs ahead of your own. And, again, that just doesn't make sense that a woman would act that way today because, number one, it doesn't work. It does give a false impression, and it does give men and women permission to walk all over you. Um, But mainly it just doesn't, doesn't get you what you need in life, whether it is a healthy relationship or getting ahead in business or, uh, in, your, in the any aspect of your life, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it may it used to be that women were women have always been raised to be nice girls, even today. Um, but in the past, it worked because men were raised to be nice men. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. they were raised they were raised to to respect women. Uh, yes, they kind of put them on a pedestal or they kind of took control of them, but they did kind of take care of them in a good way.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, uh,
1: for example, nowadays a woman goes to a party, she could go with her best friend, a male best friend, or her male cousin. And uh, in the past, if a man was around a friend of his or or somebody else's, you know, a friend of somebody else's, or his nephew, I mean, his niece, or... You know, someone related to him. If he went someplace with her, he would protect her. You mm-hmm. know, he would watch out for her and make sure she didn't get hurt. Nowadays, I've had clients who've gone with a male friend to a party, and not only did the guy not protect her from other men uh, when she had too much to drink, he joined in on, you know, sexually abusing her. Mm-hmm. So it you know, times have changed. Men are not. Thinking about protecting women necessarily.
2: I I want to launch into the different types of nice girls because you did such a wonderful, articulate job of breaking that down so that people can really find themselves in each of the categories. Are you okay, okay. to
0: mention the seven
2: categories?
1: Oh. Sure, sure. Uh, the seven types of nice girls. Um, the first one is called the doormat, and now now you have to understand. I made this list. To kind of uh, emphasize the problem, and so it may sound a bit harsh, and I don't mean to be critical of women at all. Um, We can talk about why it is that women are trained to be nice girls and why it is that we are nice girls, but um, it's not our fault at all for a woman to be a nice girl. But um, just to kind of have emphasis, the first one is called Doormat, and she's the stereotypical passive female. Who, who allows other people to walk all over her. Um, and that's probably one of the most serious um, types. Uh, the pretender is the woman who really has a powerful investment in appearing to be nice and cooperative um, and charming. And other women don't find her to be very, very nice to be around because they can tell she's pretending. You know, if you've ever been around somebody who has kind of like a plastic smile, you Mm -hmm. know, and they're, they're always pretending to be sweet and nice. And yet you feel underneath that there's a lot more going on with that person. Uh, the innocent is extremely naive and, 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 uh, and gullible. Um, and she tends to believe whatever other people tell her and she tends to be easily manipulated. Um, the victim really feels very hopeless and helpless to change. Them. she's either recognized before, uh, probably growing up with abusive parents, uh, or she's just had a lot of bad experiences and she just kind of given up and she just kind of like the first one, she lets people walk all over her. but she really just overall um, just't does is not connected to her own power at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, the martyr is the woman who kind of seems to kind of get off on the fact that you know she she does everything for other people you hear her complaining all the time say about her children that all the things she does for them and they never appreciate her or she complains about her husband about he never appreciates all she does so she kind of you can tell she kind of seems to kind of enjoy the role of Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that uh, she's a martyr and nobody really appreciates her The prude is somebody who's always judging other people. Uh, She's perfect, and everybody else is wrong, and she's the moral one. She has the best standards, the best morals, and everybody else is, you know, really failing. This person may or may not be deeply religious. It just may be that she just feels more comfortable being the judge of other people in her life. And then there's the enlightened one, and I... I don't mean to be disrespectful, but there's I'm sure we all know some people who they're always telling you that there's a bright side to everything.
2: Oh, yes. You know
1: that they're the ones who, you know, you know, your house burns down and she tells you, well, you know, there's always a reason for everything, you know, or thank goodness you're alive. You know, she never wants to hear you complain. Uh, Well, you know, you should be grateful for everything that you have. So she just, she just really makes everybody else feel bad if they ever have just human feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, you're always supposed to be optimistic. You're always supposed to be grateful. And those things are wonderful, but in their place. We have a right to feel bad sometimes. We have a right to admit that we feel bad sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So, so those are the seven types.
2: I really like I, I love the way that you've labeled them. And I do love your harshness in in the book and, and in the way that you speak, because I think it really, it it grabs people and it makes us really have to evaluate it.
0: It woke me up, Beverly. The fact that oh, your good. book is direct, really took me out of my people pleasing that I was raised to be and allowed me yeah. to see the falseness of my personality. It allowed me to really see it. And it was like a slap in my face, but it was the best awakening I've ever had.
1: Well, great. I'm glad. (laughs) That doesn't mean that I don't want you to be compassionate toward understanding, though. Well, no, it really isn't women's fault that they're like this.
2: And I think, you know, when we reference your book, which is multiple times a day with clients and over our podcasts, we love to point out that the compassion comes through in spades when you provide the tools. Because every time you point out a problem or you point out the label, yeah. you also give a solution and options, which we often don't feel that we have when we're stuck in that nice girl role.
1: Yes. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad to
2: hear that. Okay. Can you can you talk to us a little bit
0: about those four causes that you talk about? And I'm going to reference page 27 in the book for the listeners that <laughs> yeah. fo- follow us. <laughs> Um, because (laughs) Beverly, we do have people who will follow what books we refer to. And then we try and have the author on and we say, find this on certain pages because they're going to, as they listen to this show, have the book with them.
1: Okay, great, great. Well, yes, I do want to stress that it's not our fault. We are conditioned and we're even biologically predisposed. And that's the Mm -hmm. first cause. Mm -hmm. Um, Women are, you know, there was research uh, many years ago now, but it was groundbreaking um, to discover that women are raised or are biologically predisposed to be compassionate and to be caring and to be loving and to give people second chances. It's actually in our biology. Mm -hmm. Um, It's based on the fact that we are, a lot of us are mothers, um, we are predisposed to be patient and kind and uh, and giving because we need to be those things in order to raise children. We need to mm-hmm. put our needs aside in order to have a, to raise a child. So, they're they're physiologically we're physiologically hardwired mm-hmm. to have those qualities, and that's wonderful. It's just that we need to also develop other qualities to kind of balance those out so that we're not always putting our own needs aside we do need to at times put our own needs aside especially raising children this Um,
0: your point right there allowed me when I read the book Beverly having raised my own two children it allowed me to self-soothe it allowed me to forgive myself it allowed me to feel peaceful with what happened to me and to give me the strength to say okay it occurred and now I'm going to get the tools in this book to go forward
1: Okay, good. Really glad to hear this. I'm really happy to hear from somebody directly. I get emails all the time from people about the book, but I'm really glad to hear it from you.
2: Yes, we could gush about you all day. You are our woman crush. Okay. Oh, to- <laughs> okay. you are absolutely you're definitely
0: my woman crush. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay, you can go on to the other three if yes, you'd like. Yes,
1: yeah. The, the second one is societal beliefs. Um, again, these have been passed down for centuries about how women are supposed to act, how women are supposed to be, you know, little girls are supposed to be sugar and spice and everything nice, and women are supposed to be nice and compliant and passive and go along with people. You know, we're not supposed to stand up and, you know, say, you know give our opinion or stand up and, and think about our own needs first, and that goes back for centuries. Um, and yes, it is different now. Things are changing. Thank goodness. Um, not everybody's a nice girl anymore. But boy, we were sure raised to believe we. Even today, you know, we were raised to believe we we're supposed to be nice. You know, boys are encouraged to get their anger out, but they're discouraged from from crying. It's the opposite with girls. Girls are discouraged from getting angry. And they're encouraged to cry. It's okay for us to cry. But mm-hmm. it's still not okay for us to get angry and fight back and, you mm-hmm. know, fight for our rights. So a lot of that is societal beliefs that are passed down. Um, the next one is familial beliefs. Those are the beliefs that are within your, own, your particular family, um, you know, like the woman's place is in the home or the man is supposed to, you're supposed to do everything the man says. Uh, Again, those are extremes, but I still get clients who have those kinds of parents. And those those beliefs can also be passed down from witnessing your parents, uh, witnessing your parents' relationship with each other. If your mother was passive and your father was tyrannical and told her what to do and she just quietly did it, that's your role model. Okay, you Mm -hmm. may see other role models on TV or you may see other role models at your friend's home, but that's the most powerful role model you have Mm -hmm. is your own parents. Uh, If your father is abusive toward your mother, that's your role model. You may then choose, you may decide, I'm never going to be abusive like him, and so therefore you end up being passive like your mother. Or increasingly what happens is the girl will watch that happen watch her father be abusive toward her mother. And she'll say, I'm never going to be like my mother.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm
1: never going to be a victim. And so unfortunately, she may end up being an abuser herself. So our parents are very, very important as role models.
0: I found your Um, book allowed me to see both aspects the way that you wrote it, Beverly, so that I was able to see in my own parents the roles that you're talking about. And that I was allowed to see in my own relationship who I was emulating or who I was identifying with. And it allowed me to step out of both of that, all of that mess. In reading your book, I could come out of the whole mess and be able to make a clear decision where I took the education you gave me and said, what do I want? That was, yeah, your book was a huge difference for me. And I would say over the last eight years, I keep rereading it so that I can go back and keep reassessing it. And I can keep learning from the vocabulary that you give to people and the questions that you've written in the book, how you word your questions became my thoughts.
1: Oh, great. Great. (laughs) And the last one is experiential beliefs. And that's just your own personal experience. Uh, especially with childhood trauma, once again, in not blaming women, um, women who have been sexually abused or physically abused or emotionally abused uh, in their lifetime, in their childhood, and in their adulthood are going to be far more prone to be nice girls, um, either because they now feel like a victim and they feel hopeless and helpless and they can't find a way to feel empowered uh, or because the trauma experiences that they've had just really reinforce the belief system they already had, or the childhood trauma they already experienced. So, uh, if you were abused as a child, or if you saw your mother being abused, it's very likely that you're going to grow up and become either either get into an abusive relationship, or become abusive yourself. And then from then on, it just kind of snowballs, um, and then there's one abuse experience after another. So when that happens, uh, it's just, you know, it's really important to, like you said, go back in and check your beliefs and try to create new beliefs.
0: Oh, you're bringing me to page 35 where you started listing the false beliefs that a nice girl is raised to believe so that yeah. she feels comfortable in those victim in that victim part of her life. Are you okay to talk about some of the false beliefs that we can believe?
1: Oh, sure, sure. Um, You already mentioned the first one, which is putting other people's feelings and needs ahead of your own. That's just just the the most common. Um, The the second one is interesting, that if the belief that if you're nice or fair to other people, they're going to be nice or fair to you. Now, overall, in general, we can say that that's true. You know, if you go to the store and you smile at the uh, at the lady working behind the counter, um, you know, she's more likely to smile at you and being nice to you. But we take it too far. Nice girls take it too far. We really do believe that we have to keep trying to be nice to people, even when people aren't nice to us. Mm-hmm. We have some kind of magical belief that, if we're just nice enough, we're going to melt their heart, you know, and we're going to make them change. A lot of women get into relationships with abusive men or just men who are selfish, believing that they're going to change him, you know, that, that, that he just hasn't been loved enough. He hasn't been around a person who's kind and nice to him. And that may very well be true. He may have been abused or he may have been treated poorly but you're not going to be the one to change him. No matter how much you love him and no matter how wonderful you are to him, that can't turn around everything he's already experienced. Mm -hmm. Now, there can be rare cases where the two people kind of have an agreement. You know, he knows that she was abused. He acknowledges his shortcomings going into the relationship. He says, I want to change. You're so lovely and wonderful And to me, I want to change to be with you. And she's already seen him change. She's already seen him become kinder. You know, that's a different story. If you have an agreement and you've already seen some change. But most people are not going to change because you're nice to them. Mm -hmm. Their decision to change is going to come from inside of them.
0: Well, that one smacked me right between the eyes when I read that. Because that was one of the core beliefs I think I picked up from what was around me in my life. And -hmm. when I read that one, Beverly, that was the one that was like, okay, you can't keep believing in a person's potential. Right. And I say this to clients constantly, you cannot want to engage in a long-term relationship with somebody with strictly and only potential.
1: Yes. Yes, that's a great way of saying it. Absolutely. You
2: pointed out, too, that um, if we continue to believe, if I just love them harder or love them more, then they'll change. And what you're saying is like, we're taking that personally in the wrong way, and it it perpetuates a belief in our own self that we are failing.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, if that's your goal is to save somebody or you know be the the good example that's going to turn them around and it doesn't happen then yeah you're going to feel like a failure
2: and and our worth and, sinks even lower than it already is
1: right right and if that's your goal in life is your if your goal in life is to turn somebody around that then you really feel like a failure we see that a lot with codependency right yes. we see that a lot with with women and men who get involved, involved with someone who's an alcoholic or abusive up uh, toward drugs and they think that if the, they just love this man enough, that person's going to change. Well, we know that that's not possible. We know how difficult it is for an alcoholic to change, and he's not going to change because you love him so much, unfortunately. That's, mm-hmm. there's, much, there's many more things happening that it's much more of a complex problem than you loving him enough.
2: Good, good. So maybe a few more mm-hmm. beliefs or false beliefs, if okay. you
1: will. Sure. That uh, the belief that what other people think about me is more important than my self-esteem, my health, or even my safety. Um, again, I've had a lot of... I work I work with abused people in general, but I, I've been working with people who are sexually abused or sexually assaulted, and I can't tell you how many times Not to blame the woman for being assaulted, but I can't tell you how many times women have been sexually abused, sexually assaulted uh, as an adult because they were putting the man's needs ahead of their own or they were trying to please the man or they were trying to be, you know, a a good bait or whatever. Um, They get themselves in situations where they end up being sexually assaulted. Uh, Whether it's not knowing how to say no to a guy or not not being able to say no even to getting a ride home with somebody, even though their instincts tell them this is not a safe person, if they have this belief that, you know, they want to be seen in a particular way, they want to be seen as kind or understanding or loving or whatever, that can really get them into trouble.
2: Thank you.
0: Yeah, I I really thought like out of of all of the core beliefs that you have or false beliefs, excuse me, the false beliefs that you had, that some people needed to hear that because they repeatedly put their own safety. And the other thing you said, their own health. And because of what Kelly and I do for a living, we see where the health suffers tremendously over decades before a woman is willing to stop her people pleasing patterns And her nice girl syndrome situation before she actually can take a look at her own health issues and say is it time for me to address my own
1: absolutely Um, you know we know that what codependency is is it's about focusing all your energy on somebody else whether it's an alcoholic or a child that has problems or you know some, some somebody else and their needs or their problems And the point of it is, for you really, and you don't realize it, is so that you won't have to look at yourself. It's all the focus on somebody else so that you don't have to look at yourself. And, you know, Um,
0: I was going to say, Beverly, I don't, sometimes for some people, they don't even see that one coming. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're so conditioned from childhood to be that nice girl that they never really recognize that they're not ever really looking after themselves. So that one kind of really can hit you hard, because you staying focused on others was what you were told to be. So to hear that it's so so that to hear that it's okay, for you to actually look at your own life and meet your own needs and know your own thoughts can be such um, well, I'm going to say it's refreshing, because while it it takes you and shifts your whole perspective, it allows you to actually in, be engaging in your own life now.
1: Yes, yes. And as you say, some women just don't even know that that's okay or they don't even think of it as something to focus on. You know, I, they've really been raised that it's always you're always supposed to be focusing on somebody else.
2: Mm-hmm. May I ask Beverly too, in your personal practice when you're actually coaching uh, or counseling, how do you address the guilt that nice girls experience as they're trying to come out of their people pleasing patterns?
1: Yeah. Well it's guilt and shame, mm-hmm. but um I address it directly, as you can tell. That's my style. <laughs> yes. it's very direct. Um but it's you know, kind of a kind of a slow process where I just kind of point it out very slowly and hopefully very compassionately that, you know, asking questions like, what, do you, what, what about you? How were you feeling in the situation? Or what are you going to do to take care of yourself now? Um, so I just keep kind of slowly prodding. And what about you? Recently, in the last almost 10 years now, I've been focusing on self-compassion. Hmm. And when this this book, uh, The Nice Girl Syndrome, was written, I... I Focused on self-compassion just a tiny bit, but the book It's Not Your Fault is specifically for people who were abused uh, in childhood or adulthood. And I really have found, and I'm not alone here, that self-compassion is what can heal shame. Hmm. Um, You know, there's a big difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is, you know, when we actually have done something that goes against our value system. And we feel guilty for it. But shame is a deeper uh, problem. It often begins in childhood. Uh, And it's, you know, that people make the distinction. You feel guilty when you've done something wrong. You feel shame when you feel you are wrong. So shame is more all-encompassing. And it's really about feeling like you are wrong or you are bad or you are unworthy. Uh, And so self-compassion can really heal shame, and self-compassion comes in the form of uh, being much more kind to yourself. That's why this book, I think, is still so uh, popular uh, and so appropriate, because women need to learn how to be kind to themselves. Uh, We know now that self-compassion is healing, but it's extremely difficult for for nice girls to be Mm self-compassionate. They just can't turn it around. They can be compassionate toward other people, but they can't seem to make that change to, to understand that they need to be as self-compassionate as they are compassionate.
0: Boy, if you're not self-compassionate, then you really truly are somebody who allows other people to walk all over you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And if, But if you don't feel you have a right to be self-compassionate... yeah. Um, A lot of people feel like being self-compassionate is like feeling sorry for yourself. It's like having a pity party where you, you know, you oh, you know, poor me. It's not at all. It is acknowledging your suffering. It's acknowledging how difficult life is is for you right now and giving and then providing yourself kindness and providing yourself self-care. It's not about complaining and whining. It's about saying, wow. I'm really suffering. And suffering is a very powerful word because most people don't think of what they're going through, no matter what it is, as suffering. Mm -hmm. Suffering sounds so extreme. But when you talk about suffering, it does resonate with people. They do get to a place where they go, you know, I am suffering.
2: Yeah, and I'm thankful that you've brought that up and that you articulated so clearly between guilt and shame, because we, in in all of our workshops and teachings, we focus heavily on the emotional reactions to words. So thank you for spelling it out for listeners today.
1: Oh, we well, you're welcome. So do you want to hear any more beliefs or do you want to move on?
0: I would love for you to do more of the beliefs because... The beliefs are something okay. that when people hear them, Beverly, I think they need to find the ones that they sit in, the ones that resonate for them.
1: Okay, okay. Um, number four is the belief that if I'm good and perfect, I'm going to be loved and accepted. It's, it's a really deep-seated belief that women have that the only way they're going to be loved is to be perfect. And as we know, that that crosses all Areas of our lives, we, women feel like we have to have a perfect body. We feel like we, you know, we have to achieve, you know, the best grades or the best job. You know, we're, we're really putting ourselves under pressure to be the best parent, um, to be the best. And that is a, a huge burden that women, you know, carry. Men carry it too. But we carry it to the extreme of really believing that unless we are perfect, Unless we are doing everything, you know, to the to the extreme of, of brilliance, we're not going to be loved, and we're not going to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, that people expect us to be perfect, and we expect ourselves. And then, if we're not accepted, we say, "Well, it's because I've got to be more perfect." Yep. So it's a it's a vicious cycle.
0: Oh, is it ever? And I see over the years how. I'll say different things in society like media and stuff has put more emphasis on the look aspect of it, which is exhausting and fatiguing for women to try to keep up with and expensive to keep up with that (laughs) image. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So number five is if I if I act naive and innocent, uh, people will take care of me. And I won't have to grow up.
2: Mm-hmm. Now you
1: understand all these beliefs are really unconscious beliefs. We're not consciously thinking this, mm-hmm. but there are still a lot of women who believe that um, they, if they act innocent and, and, and naive, people are going to take care of them. Maybe that's because they were taken care of as a child, uh, or they've had the experience of being acting naive and uh, and innocent, and men have taken care of them. But, like I talked about in the example of the client who went, went to a party with her male cousin, men are not taking care of women anymore. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how naive or how how you know innocent you act. men don't respond to that in the same way they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, men just don't respect women who are who act innocent and naive. In fact, unfortunately, Something gets turned on in them, and they want to take they want to take advantage of women like that they want to exploit women like that, mm-hmm. they lose respect for women like that um and it's the same for women women don't respect women who mm-hmm. are innocent and naive, you know they laugh behind their back, yeah, mm-hmm. you know so it's it's again a kind of surprising that women still believe that you know. But sweet, and charming—someone that you know, people will always take care
0: of me. I like how you pointed um, out, Beverly, in your book, that it can go right to the point of—and I think you you gave one example in the book, if I remember correctly, about if you think that way, that you can get yourself into trouble, even sexually, with people.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
0: That's well, important. I think yeah. very important for women to hear that it can go that far.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, And then then number six follows up with that. I don't have the right to stand up for myself or act on my own behalf. Um, That is super important now. And it's what women are now learning with the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement. Again, not to blame women who haven't been able to speak up, because, again, we haven't been conditioned to speak up. Mm -hmm. But now with more women coming forward, especially about sexual assault and sexual harassment, This is something all women are having to really look at, is that we have to stand up. Nobody else is going to stand up for us. We have to stand up for ourselves. If we've been fooling ourselves and thinking that other people are going to change the problem of sexual harassment or sexual assault, we are mistaken. Um, Joe Biden um, the, our previous vice president, did make a huge change in the college system in terms of reporting. Uh, there are an enormous amount of students, female students, who get raped in colleges and universities every year. Yeah. And they weren't being encouraged to come forward and report it. And Joe Biden changed some laws and made it, made it, made it necessary and um, a rule, a law for for college administrators to really listen to women and to be able to do something about it. But that's been taken away under the Trump administration. So if we keep waiting for somebody else to change this for us, we're going to be waiting for a long time, and we have waited for a long time, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so we have to do it. We have to learn to stand up for ourselves. And fortunately overall women are learning to do that and it and you can see how empowering it is when a woman does stand up for herself and yeah. even though she's scared to death
2: and when we all stand it's together so
1: empowering pardon me
2: and when we all stand together
1: absolutely absolutely so this is a huge really important belief that we need to look at uh, that we don't have a right to stand up for ourselves of course we have a right Uh, We have a right and we have an obligation to ourselves and to other women. So that's a real important one.
0: Beverly, do you have an opinion as to why women bash other women who are trying to stand up for this?
1: Well, you know, I have a lot of compassion for them because that's just saying that they're completely enmeshed again. In the, in the male thinking, in, in they're, they're still caught in believing that men are right, men have all the power, and I'm supposed to, you know, be aligned with men. Um, it, you know, it does come from women who are still in a society or still in a culture where they're giving all their power to men. So it's another example. I'll put my... I'll put other women down who dare to come forward, who dare to question the status quo. I'll put them down because that makes it more comfortable for me to stay in my situation.
0: Thank you for explaining. And that's really
1: who we're hearing it from. You know, we're hearing it from very, very, and I'm not being critical of conservative people, but we're hearing it from really conservative women who are enmeshed in that whole belief system. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's their life. They don't know anything else. And their whole life is predicated on the belief that men are in power and that we have to support men. So they don't even know how to come out of that unless they get some help.
2: Mm-hmm. And I love that part two, or what I consider part two of your book, to be are the, the better belief systems that we need to train ourselves to understand. Yes. and yes. i and I say that on purpose, not just to believe them, but to understand them as truths,
1: yes, absolutely, yeah, we can change all of this um, and you know we are we are the good news is we are changing it, mm-hmm. but boy, it's taken a long, long time, you know it's taken us a long time to stand up for ourselves, if you think about it, you know yeah. <laughs> we had to we had to stand up and force. You know, force men to give us to give us the right to vote, and that wasn't too long ago. Mm-hmm. So us standing up and saying, "Look, this has got to change," you know, we're, we're going to make it change. That you know, that march on Washington right after Trump was elected—that yeah. was powerful. That was powerful, and that's what we all need to feel inside.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think it just illustrating to why we cannot afford to be nice girls
1: absolutely absolutely
2: well Beverly thank you so much um we have been excited for months to do this (laughs) with you and and I hope it's not too soon but if you are happy and comfortable we would love to have you back again at some point to discuss your other books and I'm
0: sure I'd love it Beverly I'd like to do a part two of this because of the rest of the information that you provide to us as women and male listeners in the book, The Nice Girl Syndrome. So we're going to encourage our listeners to get out there and get their own copy so that when you come back to do the second part, they're really well prepared to listen to the remedies that you provide.
1: Okay, yes, I'd be happy to come back. I'd be happy. Oh, I wonderful. I love your, love your format. I love the fact that you share with me, you know, what you found especially helpful, and you're sharing with me what happens in your life and your with your clients.
2: Thank that's, you. Really,
1: that's really great that you're doing that.
0: Well, As we've said, Beverly, we refer to your book in all of our personal sessions with people and so many times in about 200 podcast shows that we have out, we often refer to the book so that people learn the vocabulary and are able to identify so that they can get through that process of healing.
1: Oh, good. Well, I appreciate it.
0: Our pleasure. I think
1: more and more women need to hear all this.
0: And more and more men.
1: Yes, and yeah. more and more men, so absolutely. We can be on when the same I, side. When the book first came out, I had, at one of the book signings, I had a young man come up to me, and he said, you know, I know this book is supposed to be for women, but he said, it, you know, I resonated with everything you said. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are nice men out there, too, Yeah, who, who have to learn
0: Yes, yeah. we often refer to your book to men as well and say, you know, you can still read it. And every time you read nice girl, just put in nice boy.
1: <laughs> right, right. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. So much for your wisdom as well. Karen ref- refers to you as uh, crone energy, just someone who okay. has gone through life and learned and been so willing and made it your life's purpose to share. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Well, Thank you. Thank you both. All right, we'll have a have a wonderful day and we will chat soon. Okay, I'll talk to you again. Okay, okay thank bye. you. If you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info@bysarlo.com. Otherwise, have a wonderful weekend.